Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. We worship you, Lord God. This morning we worship you. We worship you because you are creator. We worship you for your character. You are holy and, and good and righteous in everything you do. We worship you because you are a redeemer. You have sent your son to be the lamb that was slain for us. And apart from him, Lord God, we have no hope. Apart from him, we have no access to you. Apart from him, I cannot even pray this prayer and expect it to be heard. But because of him, Lord God, you welcome us into your family and you count us as your people and you love us. And I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you love the people of CBC, Lord. And I just, I ask you to please speak to us this morning. So comforted by the words in Psalm 138 that you have exalted above all else your name and your word. You want to, you want to elevate yourself. You want to elevate your scripture. And I thank you, Lord God. I ask that you would. I ask that you would please have mercy on me. Please speak by your Holy Spirit. I need your help. Uh, give us ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. We're continuing in our, uh, our series on Abraham, which began in Genesis 12. You'll remember, Bill, kind of recap week one, leading up to Genesis 12 and Genesis 1 through 11, we see God dealing with the whole world. We see him dealing with everybody in the whole world is moving away from God fast. This all kind of climaxes at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Um, people work together to make a name for themselves, to try to be like God, and God then says, I ain't having none of that, so he confuses their languages, he spreads them out, and the nations come about. And then in, in Genesis 12, we move from looking at the nations to zooming in on this one guy, Abram, a moon worshiper from up north. And Abram is God's guy. This is his guy. And right up front, he promises Abram three things. He says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, you and your offspring. I'm going to bless you and your offspring. And then through you and your offspring, all these other nations that have just been scattered, that's how I'm going to bless them, through you and through your offspring. And then 10 years later, we saw a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 15, as a way to confirm these promises, God himself cuts a covenant with Abram, makes this life or death contract guaranteeing that he is going to do these things. But sadly, last week, tragically last week, we see Abram and Sarai, his wife, make a really, really bad decision. You see, one thing was missing for these promises to come through. One thing, offspring, a child, wasn't there. And so they take matters into their own hands. Sarai gives Abram her slave girl, and they have a baby. And since that has happened, Abram has heard nothing from God. Total silence. Can you imagine what's going on in his mind and in his heart? 
confusion, doubt, questioning. When we pick up in Genesis 17, verse 1, Abram is in a serious dry season. You guys ever been in a dry season? Hands, show of hands, audience participation portion of our program. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with, uh, I'm going to lead with vulnerable, 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 <laughs> I'm pretty vulnerable right now, okay, I'm going to lead with transparency today, how about that? Almost every single June, I go into a serious dry season, and it's like clockwork for me, middle of every June. And for a couple of months, you guys, it's like life goes from color to black and white. And I'm moping around. I'm frustrated with my wife and kids. I don't want to get out of bed. It happens at the same time every year. It happens as soon as every major sports season is over and all we have is baseball until college football starts with the exception of a few golf tournaments. It's a very tough time for me. It's a dry season. I'm just kidding. Some of you feel betrayed right now, probably. (laughs) All jokes aside, if you have been a Christian for any significant period of time, you know what it's like to have one of these dry seasons. You know what it's like when God feels far away. When you're calling out to him and you wonder, God, do you even hear me? When your life is characterized by doubt and guilt instead of by freedom and faith. And that's exactly where Abram is when we pick up at the beginning of Genesis chapter 17. So when we're there, this is what I want us to talk about about today. When we're there, what do we do? When we find ourselves in a dry season, where do we go? We're going to see five things today from the life of Abraham. uh, And we're going to jump in now with the last verse of chapter 16. And let me remind you as you turn there, friends... It is such an honor that we have in our laps the Word of God. Let's never, ever get bored with it. Two billion people on planet Earth have no access to this revelation from God. We do. It is His gift to us. So let's hear it with that mindset this morning. Uh, Genesis 16, 16, we pick up. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, the last we heard of Abram last week, he was 86 years old. Okay, in one week's time, he is aged 13 years. Okay, there's a 13-year gap between the end of 16 and between the beginning of 17. And I just want to quickly remind you how long 13 years is when you're waiting on God to fulfill a promise. 13 years ago, Britney Spears was still the it girl, okay? 13 years ago, you were all still watching a show called Dawson's Creek. <laughs> or at least some of you were. <laughs> Don't admit it. Okay, 13 years ago, LeBron James was still in high school. 13 years ago, George W. Bush was in his first term, and no one had ever heard of Barack Obama. 13 years ago, our buddy Ethan Montesinos was not even a teenager yet. And 13 years ago, Bill Fowler had a very, very, very unhealthy obsession with Star Wars. Oh, wait, that has not changed. (laughs) It has been over 13 years since Abram made this mistake. And for over a decade, he has heard nothing from God. 
crickets, left to his own doubts. So when Genesis 17 verse 1 comes, can you imagine what this must have done for Abram's soul? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. What a relief this must have been. But what's God going to say? The last thing we have is a mistake from Abram. So what is he going to say? Verse 2. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We could easily preach a whole sermon on these verses, easily. But for the sake of our time today, I want to highlight two things that would have been so reassuring to a man in an epic dry season. And the first is this, verse 2. Look how God addresses Abraham. Look at, or Abram, look at his first words. I'm sorry, this is verse 1. He starts by saying, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, I am the all-powerful one. I am the all-sufficient one. And Abram, in case you have forgotten who you're talking to, in case you have forgotten who has made this promise, I am the almighty God and I can do whatever I want to do. This had to be hugely reassuring to our boy Abe. Okay, but he doesn't just tell Abe who he is. Okay? What he also does here is he reiterates the covenant and he confirms the covenant with Abram. So Abram is wondering, have I blown it? Have I messed this whole thing up? And God says, no, 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 no. That land I promised you, I'm giving you that land. This is an everlasting deal that I've made with you. And as far as your offspring, offspring are coming. But look what he does here too. He also expands the covenant. He, he says, Not only are you going to be a father of a great nation, but now you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And Abe, with your offspring, I'm going to be their God. They will belong to me. Friends, I can think of nothing more comforting and more reassuring to Abram at this time than to see who God is. And to be reminded of what he's promised. And if you find yourself in a dry season this morning, and I know some of you do, there is no better place I know to go to see who God is and to see what he has promised than in this book. Friends, in this book, God has chosen to disclose himself. 
He has chosen to reveal himself. And he has told you what he has done and will do for you. And it is clear in this book. How bad do you think Abraham would have loved to have this book during that 13-year dry period? He had to wait on God to show up. But friends, you don't have to wait on God to show up. You can open this book and you can see who God is. You can see what he's promised to you. And so the first thing that we're to do when we find ourselves in a dry season is we're to return to God's word. Return to God's word. I want to share with you guys one of my favorite quotes. This quote, I just, I love it. I got it up in my office. We got it up on our wall in our house. George Mueller, great uh, 19th century British guy, says this. He says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. And here's what I can tell you, my friend. If you will make it the first great and primary business of every day, to go to God in his word and to see who he is and to see what he's done on your behalf, I can promise you this. Your dry seasons, they're going to be rarer and they're going to be shorter. And I'm not saying they're going to be gone altogether. I'm not, going to, I'm not saying God's not going to take you through difficult valleys. But I am saying if you go to this word every day, those dry seasons, they're going to be rarer and they're going to be shorter. And, and let me give one encouragement and kind of one concern I have before we move on to the next point. Make sure you personally are going to be with God in his word. Okay. Secondhand Bible intake is just not the same. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. And so, friends, Bill Fowler is one of the best preachers I know. It is the joy of me and my family to sit under Bill Fowler's preaching. But I can't rely on him to feed me on Sunday and then wait all the way till the next Sunday to get fed by him again. And I don't want you to do the same thing either. And he wouldn't want you to do the same thing either. And I know there's great podcasts, there's great devotionals, there's great Christian literature. But friends, (laughs) Almighty God has spoken. I'm going to go off script for a minute. I've lost my spot. A guy named Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament professor at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, used to start his huge freshman seminar classes by asking this question. Hey, who here is a Christian? Out of 200 people, the vast majority of these kind of southern folks would raise their hand. And then he said, who here believes that the Bible is the word of God? And the same amount of people would raise their hand. And then he would say, um, who here has read the entire Bible? And like eight people would raise their hand. And then he would say, who has read the entire Harry Potter series? And almost everybody would raise their hand. And he would say, you think this is the word of God. And you have not read it. But you have read every Harry Potter book. And I I don't say that to condemn anybody. I say this to say, when your soul is dry... And when your soul is weary, there is a waterfall of goodness for you to drink from. Go to it. See who God is. See what God has promised. Okay? God reassured Abram with with who he is and what he's promised, and he wants to reassure us too. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Let me open back to my spot here. 
Um, let's zoom back in on verse 5. Notice what God says in verse 5. He says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, so God was so fixed on reassuring Abram that not only does he tell him who he is, not only does he remind him of his promises, but he also gives him a new name. And he gives him this new name as a way of confirming or guaranteeing, Abram, this is what I'm going to do. From now on, you're going to be Abraham. Um, Any basketball fans in here? I know all my illustrations are like sports illustrations. Tony Scott, what's up? Um, It's bad. Uh, Does anybody remember Ron Artest, basketball player named Ron Artest? Okay, a few years back, Dwayne, I see you. So a few years back, this guy, Ron Artest, crazy basketball player. This guy's got a, a few screws loose. He changes his name to Meta World Peace. Okay, changes his name, Meta World Peace. And a reporter says, Uh, Meta, can you tell me why you changed your name? And he says, well, just felt like it was the right thing to do. Okay, Meta, that's a a little different than what we see in the Bible. When God gives a name name change, there's more purpose than that. When, When God changes somebody's name in the Bible, he's given them a new start. He's given them a new identity. And let me tell you how big this would have been for our boy Abram. For the last... Uh, 99 years of Abram's life, he's been saying, hey, my name is Exalted Father. That's what Abram means. And in a, in a culture that valued offspring, every time he would meet somebody new, they'd come to him and they'd say, hey, I'm Joe. What's your name? He'd say, hey, I'm Exalted Father. They'd say, oh, cool. How many kids do you have? And for 70 years of his adult life, he would have said, zero. Would have stung probably every time. This would be like Bill Fowler saying, hey, I'm Emery. We'd say, what's, what's Emery? Well, it's Hebrew for tall. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there would be a sting, right, every time. <laughs> hey, I've had eight weeks of waiting to get him back, and he's been taking jabs. <laughs> They're coming today. But, but God says, hey, Abram, it's not going down like that anymore. From now on, you're not Abram. From now on, you are Abraham. From now on, you are the father of a multitude. And again, this is God confirming what he's going to do. This is him saying, hey, look, your old identity is gone. I've got a new identity for you, and I'm taking you somewhere. I've got promises that I'm keeping to you. And so now, tens of times a day, When Abraham hears his name called, he would be reminded of the faithfulness of God. He would be reminded of the promises of God. And friends, when we're in a dry season, when we're not feeling God, when underlying guilt and doubt is what's characterizing our lives, we need to learn from Abraham here. And the second thing we need to do is to revisit our identity. We need to revisit our identity. Let me tell you what I mean. When I talk about identity, I'm talking about where you go for your sense of self and self-worth, okay? How you answer the question, who am I? Where you go for your sense of self and self-worth. And here's what happens almost every time we find ourselves in a difficult season. We start believing a lie about our identity. We start believing a lie about who we are and what makes us important, Okay, and, and this can either lead us into a dry season or it can take us deeper into a dry season. Let me explain. When we start looking for our identity in things apart from God, 
So maybe we do it in our social status, or we look for our identity in our performance at work, or in how much money we've made, or in some achievement, or in our appearance, or what other people think about us. We, we look for our sense of self-worth in those things. Here's what happens a lot of times. We will actually accomplish what we set out to accomplish. We'll get what we want, and then it won't deliver, and we'll wind up empty. Okay, We'll wind up dry. Because what we've strived after, what we've clamored for, it didn't provide what we hoped it would. So that can take us into a dry season. But here's, here's what else happens, and I think this is what happens with Abraham. Abraham makes a bad mistake. Okay, he, he fails. And friends, when we fail, when we struggle, when we try to take matters into our own hands and kind of brokenness ensues everywhere and we're reminded of our failure, it's so easy to start believing a lie about our identity. Right? Guilt just kind of takes over and we think, I'm no good. I'm not worth it. How could God love me? Look at, look at all this havoc I've caused. And so as Christians, we live these like defeated Christian lives because we're letting guilt carry the conversation instead of the truth of who we are in Christ. And let me just remind you this morning, if you are in a dry season and you have looked to other things or other people for your identity, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you so bad this morning. If you are a Christian, the Bible says that you are in Christ, right? No longer is your sense of self or self-worth de- determined by your performance? It is no longer determined by what people think about you or how much money you have. When you are in Christ, there is only one relationship that begins to define you. And, and let me just remind you about who you are in Christ this morning. And please just receive this if you're struggling. Here's what the Bible says about who you are in Christ. In Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, God has made you his own son and his own daughter. In Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. There is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. Okay, listen to me. If that is you and you are letting guilt dominate your existence right now, stop it. There is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, God promises to work every single thing in your life, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult it is what you're going through right now, God promises to work every single thing for your good somehow. If you are in Christ, the Bible says that there is absolutely nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God. The Bible goes so far as to say that God is rejoicing over you, that he is singing over you with joy. And we could go on and on. The Bible is full of these statements. And so if you are in a dry season this morning, and you are more aware of your guilt than you are of God's grace, revisit your identity. It's where God took Abraham. It's where he's steering us. Um, but he's not done. And you will see he just keeps pouring out grace on our boy. I mean, he's just letting it rain down. Um, verses 9 through 14. Let's keep going. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. 
Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let me just hit a quick pause button real quick and remind you that Bill Fowler always gives me the difficult sermons. Every time. Who wants to talk about circumcision? Okay. Um, anyway, just get comfortable with that word because it's going to be flowing for the rest of this sermon. It makes you feel uncomfortable. This is your cue to go to the coffee area. Okay. Notice this little phrase, as for you, that, that God leads with. Okay. In verses 3 through 8, God's telling Abraham, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my end of the bargain. Now, he says, Abraham, here's what's expected of you. Here's what you're to live up to. This is your end of the deal. Okay? And even though God is going to carry out this covenant unilaterally, here's the idea. Whenever God attaches his name or his reputation to a person or a group of people, there are expectations for that group. And there are expectations for Abram here that there's going to be a physical sign in his flesh. There's going to be a mark that would set him and his offspring apart. This would mark the people of Abraham as distinct, as belonging to God. But that's not all this did, okay? There's also something that's hugely comforting in here for Abram. Um, and before I tell you what it is, let me explain kind of why circumcision, because this is a question I think we all have. Like, God, why not like a tattoo that would mark us or like a brand? I mean, why we got to go down there, right? Why circumcision? This is a little bit odd. Well, it's only odd until you think about what the promise is. Okay, the promise is for seed. The promise is for offspring. The promise is a promise of reproduction. And so, to be kind, not to be too graphic, but to be kind of graphic, kids, close your ears. No. Um, <laughs> every time Abraham, from this point on, would have been intimate with his wife, he would have remembered, if this seed is going to come, if this offspring is going to come, God is going to have to do it. And every time he would have remembered that, he would have seen, God has marked me as a sign of promise. He is confirming what he said he was going to do. He is doing this so I would remember his covenant. And so for you, if you find yourself struggling this morning, if you find yourself in a dry season this morning, here's my next encouragement. My next encouragement is to remember God's covenant Remember God's covenant. And let me explain how I got there in just a second. When you feel like God is so far away and you're questioning, do you even care? Do you even love me? Where we go is to the covenant. And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Because 2,000 years later, here's what happened. 2,000 years after Abraham, one of Abraham's offspring came on the scene. Named Jesus of Nazareth, our Messiah. And Jesus of Nazareth makes a covenant between man and God that any who would believe in him would have their sins forgiven, they'd be brought back into fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit, and they would be guaranteed eternal life. And 
Friends, get this. In real human history, on a Friday afternoon in 30 AD, Jesus Christ cut that covenant. He was nailed to a Roman cross. He was beaten and torn and bruised. He endured the wrath wrath and judgment of God so that you and I could experience the forgiveness of God, access to God by the Holy Spirit, and the guarantee of eternal life. This is human history, and it is an objective reality that any who believe in that are forgiven. This is True. And just like God did for Abraham, giving him a sign to remember the covenant, God has given us two physical, visible symbols so that we will not forget this. Right? So next week, we're, we're celebrating baptism. What's baptism all about? Is baptism just like we want, we want church to feel like a football game a couple times a year? No. Baptism has great meaning for us. Okay? Baptism reminds us of the covenant. Baptism reminds us that when someone goes underneath the water, they've died with Christ. When they come up out of the water, we're reminded they've been made alive in Christ. We're reminded that their sins have been washed away. And so just like Abraham would have seen the sign of the covenant and remembered God is faithful, we see that sign and we think God is faithful. He did that for me. He's doing that for them. Even if I don't feel it, I can remember the covenant. But thankfully, God hadn't just given us baptism. God's also given us the Lord's Supper to come back to over and over and over again because we need it. And so in a week and a half at the Good Friday service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. What's that all about? Well, you'll remember what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he he took the cup, and he says what? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And, And so, friends, when you hold the elements in your hand, and when you taste them in your mouth, remember the covenant. Remember what God has done in human history. And let me quickly, before I apply this point, Talk to, talk to you if you're here and you're not a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we are so pumped that you are here. We think that Almighty God, by His Spirit, brought you here. I know that sounds so weird to you, but we really think that. And here's what I would say, my friend, sets Christianity apart. With Christianity, we are dealing with objective realities. We are dealing with a living God who sent his own son into real human history to live in real time, to die on a real cross, who on the third day actually came back from the dead. And you can research the historicity of the resurrection. Look it up. There's no good, there's, there's no good explanation for where Christ is. And so Christianity is an objective reality that we put our faith in. And and for you, if you're doubting, if you're struggling, if you're wondering, does God love me? Um, I'm going to give a shout out to my girl, Sarah Dale. Um, Sarah's not here anymore, but lots of y'all love Sarah. Sarah loved uh, this fact, faith, feeling train. This is going to be one of the cheesiest moments in CBC history. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Ethan. Uh, So Sarah used to always use this illustration. And it's silly, but it's true, okay? The locomotive is fact. The facts about who Jesus is and what he's done. 
Now, sometimes the caboose, our feelings align with the facts. And when they do, that is a sweet, sweet thing. I love feelings, y'all. I love when my heart feels the grace of God. I want that all the time. But it's not always there. But what never changes is the reality that Jesus has died on a cross for my sins. Jesus has rose from the dead. And if my faith is in that, I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I have the Holy Spirit, and I'm living forever. And you are too. And so if you're in a dry season this morning, look to the facts. Remember the covenant. It is finished, whether you feel it or not. God loves you. God has not forgotten you. All right? Okay. God gives Abraham a sign, a painful sign, but a sign nonetheless. And what a reassuring him. And he keeps giving more grace. Let's keep plugging. Verses 15 and 16. Okay. To this point, God said, Abe, here's what I'm going to do. Then he's told Abe, here's what you're going to do. And now for the first time in the Genesis narrative, God says, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to carry this out. And, And here's what he says in 15 and 16. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I'll bless her, and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So God says the blessing is coming through Sarah. The seed is coming through her. The king is coming through her line. And then just like he did for Abraham, he gives her a new name, a new start, a new identity to confirm it. And if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, dude, this is great news. This is awesome. It just keeps getting better and better. But look at how Abe reacts. It's a shocking, verse 17 and 18. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham falls down laughing. There's all kinds of argument among theologians. Is this a laugh of joy? Is this a laugh of unbelief? I think it has to be a laugh of unbelief, and here's why. Because he appeals to Ishmael. Oh God, just use Ishmael. And I'm thinking, dude, Almighty God has appeared to you. He has told you this is how this is going to go down. And you're saying, God, let me just put forth Ishmael as the way to do this. How could he do that? Why could he do that? Okay, I think there are a few reasons. We don't have time to go into them all. But here's the big E on the eye chart. This sounded just as crazy to Abraham as it does to us. Okay, people aren't living until age 900 during these days. That's pre-fall stuff. Okay? He's 100 years old. The book of Hebrews says his body is as good as dead. And, and he's thinking, uh, God, hello, 100-year-old men don't usually have babies with 90-year-old women. Right? It's not like there's a neonatal wing over there at the Habersham house for seniors. Just, that's not happening. And so Abram says, Ishmael. How about Ishmael? Thankfully, God doesn't take his advice. Look at how he responds. Verse 19. No. Like he goes into dad voice right here. No, Abraham. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him. I'll make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God says, I know you love Ishmael. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. But the blessing is coming through Sarah. The blessing is coming through this little boy. And uh, just so you know, because you're laughing, we're going to name his name. Name him, he laughs, and we'll see who's laughing about a year from now. And here's what Abram, or Abraham, he's Abraham now, here's what Abraham needed to do in this moment. Right? Exactly what we need to do when we find ourselves in a dry season. Instead of taking matter, matters into his own hands, instead of operating in his own strength, instead of trying to control everything himself, he needed to rest in God's plan. Rest in God's plan. That's exactly what we need to do. So next point. When you are in a dry season, rest in God's plan. Um, Y'all, Abraham had no idea what God was going to do. And as far as he could tell, Ishmael was the best option. But a little bit of biblical history helps us a whole lot. And I want you to even think about the original readers of the book of Genesis. The original readers of the book of Genesis would have been wandering around in the wilderness, waiting to go in the promised land. Okay, huge doubts in this group. But they could have looked at this and they could have said, fellas, hello, God, God said that the promise was coming through Sarah to a baby named Isaac, and he did that. Don't you think he might be able to bring us into the land that he promised Abraham? But here's our advantage. We get to zoom out even further than they did. And here's what we know, because friends, and we could... Y'all, we could do a sermon series on Abraham in the New Testament. That's how much there is on Abraham in the New Testament. But so much began with this one little promise. And I just want to give you a, a little appetizer of it right here. New Testament begins with these words. This is how the New Testament starts. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and so on and so forth until we get to verse 16, when we see Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The Messiah was coming through the line of Isaac. This is the king that was promised in Genesis 17. God was up to way more than Abraham could ever see. Okay, But not only was the Messiah coming through him, we see in Galatians 3 and Romans 4, and read those this week, that Anyone who believes in Jesus actually becomes part of Abraham's family. God counts any who believe in Jesus, no matter what nation they're from, as part of the family of Abraham and heirs of the blessing to Abraham. That means that if you believe in Jesus this morning, you are heirs of the same blessing that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Okay, and we go even a step further that when God brings world history to a climax, which he will, and there are going to be people from every language and nation and tribe and tongue around the throne who have faith in Christ, worshiping the one true God, the lamb that was slain for them. Can't you just imagine Ab or Jesus just elbowing Abraham? Hey, Abe, <laughs> you're the father of a multitude of nations. Don't you think my plan is a little better than your plan? Why do I say all that this morning? I say all that because no matter what you're going through, and I know some of you guys are going through such difficult stuff, 
God knew what he was doing with Abraham. And he knows what he's doing with you. We can rest in God's plan. His plan is a perfect plan, a plan for our good, a plan for our salvation, a plan for our blessing. And even if you can't see it right now, he's at work. Um, So if you are in a dry spell, if you are in a difficult time, fight to rest in God's plan. God has not forgotten you. He's taking this thing somewhere. Okay, one more point. Abraham was finally learning to rest in God's plan, and we know that by how the chapter finishes out. Verse 22 and following. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of the house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So we know that Abraham ultimately believed God because he obeyed God. He responded in obedience. And this is, y'all, this is serious obedience. Okay? This is a 99-year-old man and a 13-year-old boy and their entire house being circumcised. And, and just to give you an idea, this was super helpful for me this week. We've got a clip here of an adult circumcision that is helpful. If we can pull it up. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> That would have been bad. I would have been fired. <laughs> hey, but when you're talking about circumcision, you got to make jokes. It's not comfortable to stand up here and talk about that. Okay, let's move to our point. Here's our point. The last thing that Abraham did when he found himself in a dry season was to respond in obedience. And the truth is, same for, is the same truth for us. When we are in a dry season, when we're in a season of difficulty, we need to respond to God in obedience. Um, now, let me, let me kind of move to a close with this sweet promise from Jesus. Night before Jesus dies, he challenges, challenges his disciples with these words. And I want you to hear them and think about them because they're, this is a sweet promise right here. Whoever has my commandments, Jesus says, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what's he saying? He's saying, if you love me, you're going to obey me. And if you obey me, I'm going to manifest myself to you. I'm going to give you more of myself. I'm going to continue to reveal myself to you more and more. Friend, if you're here this morning and you want more of God, if you're here this morning and you are struggling, our last application is this. Do the next right thing. Take the next step of obedience. And God will meet you in it. He will meet you. And I'm not saying everything's going to get better right away. But I am saying if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And like Bill joked about in announcements, if you're here and you had not been baptized as a believer, this is the first act of obedience in the Christian life. We believe and then we're baptized. Maybe that's what you need to obey this morning. Maybe for some of y'all you need to ask somebody for forgiveness. Or you need to forgive somebody. Obey and get more of God. Maybe there's a a sin that you're tolerating in your life, and you know you need to kill it. You know you need to put it away, but you've kind of been pushing it off. Obey and get more of God. Maybe it's somebody you need to talk to about Christ. Maybe it's whatever. You You know how God's prompting you to obey. Obey, and here's the promise. Jesus will step toward you. He will begin to reveal himself to you more and more. 
That's a sweet, sweet promise. Okay, so friends, dry seasons, they happen to all of us. They happen to me every June. Uh, And when they happen to you, there are some things that you can do. There are some things that we can do. We can return to God's word. We can revisit our identity. We can remember the covenant. We can rest in God's plan. And we can respond in obedience. And then one more thing, not mentioned in the text, but very clear in the scripture. One of the best things for the dry soul, for the thirsty soul, for the weary soul, is to worship the one true God. And we see the psalmists over and over, even when they don't feel it, they're commanding themselves, bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise him. So that's what we want to do now. I have been especially praying uh, for us that in this time we would be refreshed by God. So let's stand and worship, and I'll pray. Father, thank you for, for your word that tells us the truth, no matter what we feel. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling this morning, for the ones that you feel far away from them this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would draw near to them right now. I pray that you would wash over them right now. I pray that they would experience your enjoyment and your grace. Please meet us as we we sing, Lord God. We want to encounter you. We want to be washed by you. We want to remember who you are and what you've done. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.